0: If you don't feel like you've unlocked your potential just yet, find someone um, and find actually not just one person, find multiple people who can help you unlock that because there is something incredibly wild and incredibly beautiful about unlocking that potential and living the version of yourself that is the best version.
1: You're positive, 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 positive. Imprint. 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 imprint, imprint, imprint. Stories are everywhere.
0: People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your
1: PI could
2: mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint.
1: Stop stripping me in my armor. I gotta trip the alarm before the squid becomes harder. I gotta trip the alarm. I gotta trip the the alarm. Oh, oh, gotta trip thee along.
2: Hello, hello everybody. Cheers. school salute To you from wherever you are listening from around the world. My guest today is a storyteller from New Zealand. And a good day to you. This is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show podcast featuring exceptional people around the world who inspire positive thought and action. I find amazing positive imprints in every corner of the world. Exceptional people are always rising to the challenge. And I'm so glad you're here to listen to their stories. Your positive imprint. What's your PI? Music by the very talented composer Chris Knoll. Check out his fabulous music at chrisknoll.com or, of course, on Spotify. Join my email list and continue listening from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, or, as always, listen from Radio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or simply your favorite podcast platform. And, hey, do me a favor and just tap that subscribe, download, or follow button, as well as the five-star rating. I would love that support. Remember, this is a free podcast. Well, my guest today is an amazing PI. Rawiti James is a storyteller using every artistic medium to share his thoughts. He's a filmmaker, R&B music composer, author of a young adult horror thriller novel. He believes wholeheartedly that sharing your own story has great value. And these convictions of his allow him to not just tell stories, but to also be a listener as he mentors young adults with addiction problems and other issues. He is a superhero of positive imprints right out of the comics he grew up reading. <laughs> Rawidi James, welcome to your positive imprint.
1: Hey,
0: Kyota, Thank you for having me here.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> and yeah. it's...
0: That's such a great introduction. Wouldn't it be nice if we got to walk into a room with that kind of confidence?
2: <laughs> this is you. Look at everything you've done. Uh, I, you know, I had a little chat with you in the meet and greet, and I've read your book. I've listened to your music. Um, you're amazing. You, you have come from, even, even if you still struggle 20 years from now uh, in a new struggle, you know how to move yourself forward and bring about positive imprints so we're here to just learn about whom you are and get inspired by you
0: great let's do it all let's right
2: it. all right i want to start first with um new zealand you were born in new yes. zealand i was yeah and is rawiti is that maori
0: it is it is so um raori is the maori name for david
2: Yes. Oh, really?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't on. have um, Ds or Vs in the Maori alphabet, so <laughs> we kind of make do with what we have. Uh, it makes sense to me because I understand the language, but, um, yeah, I grew up in Auckland originally, which is the biggest city in New Zealand, and then we moved a little bit, and I moved to Wellington to study when I was a bit older, but I've been based in London for... Oh, I'm creeping up on nearly 10 years I've been in the UK.
2: And and so you were writing music in New Zealand, and you I think I read that you also did a movie.
0: Uh, so I studied film and television after high school. I moved uh, to Wellington and studied at the New Zealand Film and Television School, and I worked on a couple of ads and TV shows and a, a film and that's all behind the scenes uh i worked in that kind of area and i was young i was 19 and thought i knew everything i thought i knew the world. <laughs> uh, i loved film i still love film i think it's an incredible incredible thing one of the great things about lockdown is that i get to catch up on a whole bunch of films uh through netflix
2: which <laughs> is nice. um, aren't, we all?
0: aren't we all oh god <laughs> yeah um so i did that for a while and I didn't get steady work for a lot of reasons, and that's mainly me. I I, just, I wasn't, uh, I was ambitious, but not particularly good at going out there and finding the work and you know making all those contacts. I was a bit more withdrawn, and at the time I was I was you know drinking and drugging a lot. So I think I was it was good enough for me just to get the odd piece of work here and there. And since being over here in London, I've, I've done a couple of bits and pieces. I'd, I had a play out last year as well, and who knows what the future holds, but we'll see.:
2: Oh, absolutely. Now, when you were over there in, in New Zealand and you wanted to get involved in an in artistic medium of some sort, you have been you kind of kind of went a path of, of R& b rhythm and blues, and you write your own music where'd you get the inspiration? I mean, you have some great songs. And I have to, I will have to tell you before you start, I've been listening to all of your music and I have a favorite.
1: (laughs) Oh,
0: what's your favorite?
2: Hey, kid.
0: (laughs) Hey, kid. Okay, cool. I
2: I really like that song. And and, um, anyway, so where did the inspiration come from? And how old were you when you started?
0: When I started writing, uh started writing songs probably around 13, 14. You know, when you're a teenager and you're all a bit angsty and, and uh, I was always quite good with words. So I started writing songs and, I, and I've, I've grown up listening to, to musicians my whole life. My mum's a great singer as well. Uh, she had an incredible LP collection, like a record collection, which I remember even as a kid. And I was fascinated. I, I loved listening to music. I grew up with '90s R and B and hip hop. Uh, we were speaking before about Boys to Men, you know, Next, um, Blackstreet, Monica, Mariah, and then music soul child and neo soul and all that. I mean, I love it. It's it's totally my thing. And I started writing, yeah, when I was a teenager, and sort of started and stopped over the years. That song that you were referring to before, which is Hey, Kid, and the last song on the album, was actually probably one of the first ones I wrote for the album.
1: Oh wow. And
0: oh, wow. I worked on it with a couple of friends of mine who I was working with at the time in Wellington. So it was produced by some Kiwis, some fellow Kiwis, which is which is very cool.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and you know, Rowdy, I'll tell you what, your music is fun, And yeah, Hey Kid is great, but I'll tell you, last night, we used Trip the Alarm for our hip-hop dance. (laughs) Yeah, so absolutely fabulous. So why don't we, you know, since we're talking about your music, you know, let's share a little bit more about your music and your writing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's... I suppose and we've talked a lot about how, you know, my personal journeys had a lot of dark stuff And there are some interesting darker thing elements in the book as well But I I I love to laugh and I think, you know, the up-tempo songs on the record are just as important as uh, the more introspective ones, but you mentioned Trip the Alarm and that was the second The second single that I released from the album and we shot a video for that and It's my personal favorite on the album is Trip the Alarm, um, because it is still personal, uh, but it's also you. I think you can you know you could listen to it, dance around to it, Mm -hmm. and not and maybe not realize that I'm having a meltdown in the lyrics. I think that's that's great too because <laughs> what it means for me is probably not going to be what anybody else. It can mean something very different for you know an audience, somebody who's listening to it, and I think that's that's very cool as well. And I wrote that quite a few years ago, and it's produced by uh, a good friend of mine called Kai Vai, very talented guy. Um, he produced this song on the album. He also produced the third track, which is called Trust, the one you with, and he's the uh, the the guest. Rap artist on that song. He's super talented. I've known him a long time and it was great I remember when I was planning the album. I I, we met up in London And I sort of said I'm making this record I need you to produce another song for me and he was like, okay, cool. I'm doing that one and you know I think we we know each other well enough that uh, It just works very well. He sent me their initial demo and I was just like, yes, 100% yes. (laughs) Now I want to rap on it too. Thank you so much.
2: (laughs) And you did a video with with Trip the Alarm. Yes. Which your videos are are so well done. So who does those? Not not to get off the track of music, but...
0: No, that's cool. So the Trip the Alarm um, was directed by a friend of mine called Grant, Another guy that I know here in London. He's London. uh, Well, I don't know if he's London born and raised But he's certainly London living and I had some friends actually in the video to trip the alarm We've got Kaivai. He appears in the video. We've also got Freddie in there or other better known as Frederick uh, Another really good friend of mine who not only he didn't produce this this song, but he produced oh four or five tracks on the album. He co-executive produced the album with me. He recorded all my vocals. And he's kind of the unsung hero, I think, of my pro- the, the, certainly the music project for Lost Boy. So shout outs to him. He's in the video. Another friend of mine was in the video. And it was, uh, you know, four-hour shoot, I think, um, of us sort of partying cigars and poker and right, that kind of right. stuff. Um, and the <laughs> other half of it, me tied up blindfolded in in a actual t- dungeon in East London. <laughs> you
2: can, Did you, you have can, to get permission not, to go into that or is it a public?
0: No, you had to get permission. I have rented the space for just for the shoot. The guy who owns it was super accommodating about it. It just had a really interesting aesthetic. And I liked the idea of being bound, tied up by addiction. And that's where the whole kind of
2: yeah. metaphor comes from. Yeah. Well, you mentioned something that's Really important when you said just a little bit ago that what other people feel with the music might be different from what you intended. But that's the important part of your creativity and and your voice is that people during different times in their life are going to feel differently when they listen to the same song.
0: Before the album came out, I released the first song, which was Bottle Down. It's very it's a lot more contemporary. I think it's a very mid-tempo R&B groove kind of song and uh, uh, It was we went through a couple of different versions of that before we finalized this version I, I really love the beat of this. I think it's nice I think it's haunting and it fit the it fit the theme for me bottled down as a song about the end of a relationship and dealing with the end of the relationship by just getting all out wasted <laughs> for an extended period of time, which <laughs> was typically how I dealt with relationships. Uh, and you know, the opening lyric is "I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in darkness and it's silent, thinking just how violent my heart it feels tonight," which is really depressing and stuff. And it's interesting to me. Some people really get the lyrics as you were talking about, and there are other people who hear, you know how I riff for 14 different notes on a particular line and that's what they take from it. Oh, your, your voice sounds really interesting on it. <laughs> Great. Thank you for not thinking I'm an incredible manic depressive. That's lovely. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, but like I said, there there's some darker stuff. There's a, a song on the album called voices and it's probably the most personal. It's my mum's least favorite. She loves all the songs, but <laughs> she goes, I don't really like voices, which, Creatively i'm like it's such a good song but as a as a a Person I get that it can't be much fun for a parent to listen to their son Rap about having to grapple with the voices in their head because it it wasn't a particularly nice Time at that at that moment and although it was easy to write the song it Hung on me for a good week after I wrote it like I felt a little off kilter because it because of what I was talking about But now that I'm much better and I have a bit more distance from it, you know, it is cool to see um, how people react to the songs. You know, I have my personal favorites. There's another song, Could Never Grow Up, which people love because it's, you know, a club song and Mess With My Cool, which is another favorite of mine and another one that Freddie produced. And, yeah, it's got some different colors and different themes on it, which is what I was hoping for. But I think they all fit the album and the album tells its own stories from start to finish, which is also what I wanted to do
2: I would love to have you serenade the listeners
0: <laughs> Okay um, Okay, I'm, and I'm not warmed up. I'm actually not the best person at vocal warm-ups either uh, So your I mean my favorites trip the alarm so maybe I'll I'll do a little of that
1: Stop stripping me in my arm I gotta trip the alarm before the squid becomes harder I gotta trip the alarm I gotta trip the alarm um oh, oh gotta trip the alarm
2: That was good <laughs> And I'm so glad that trip the alarm it means so much to you because, like I say, we just danced to it last night. So I think that's some great karma going on there. Thank you yes. so much.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. You're so <laughs> welcome. It's my theme song, so why not? Everybody's uh, their own theme song. I'm a big believer in it.
2: <laughs> well, Rowdy, thank you so much. No worries. So then you've been writing this music and you, were, you, you mentioned a couple of seconds or a couple minutes ago that you... Got involved in a path that took you down the wrong way with <laughs> with alcohol and drugs, and That's you a were
0: way of putting it,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you were young, and and you're still young, and you got out of it. What do you think brought you down that path? I mean, was it? You know, everybody has a story, like you said. Everybody has a story to tell, but it's yeah. the value. You know, the need to or the that share your story because every story does have a value and you must have pulled something from that.
1: Yeah.
0: And I grew up, I, I got into it pretty early. I was about 14 when I started drinking and using drugs and realized I had quite a good body for it and that I could consume a lot um and i typically didn't get hangovers and that kind of stuff so i thought it was a little bit like my superpower and i joke about it now but i i had a very romantic relationship with substances i joke about this sometimes about how i saw, I, I met alcohol at a party when i was very young i saw i saw alcohol across the room it was looking very sexy <laughs> and went up and introduced myself <laughs> and thus kick-started you know uh, the relationship to end all relationships i thought it was going to be You know a lifetime kind of commitment (laughs) Uh, And I loved alcohol don't get me wrong like I I I loved it because it made me feel All of the things that I wasn't able to feel organically so When I drank when I used it made me feel cool and confident and funny and talented and smart and sexy and uh, most of all I think connected Connected to whoever I was with and I felt a part of something without having to worry about where I fit in, which was something that consumed me a lot. Um, So if you're insecure as a person and you find that there's this magical substance that all of a sudden takes all of that neuroses away, you're going to invest. And I did invest. I invested in that relationship intensely (laughs) throughout my teens and my 20s, or most of my 20s. Um, And it was only towards the very end that I saw... I had been in an abusive relationship that entire time. I abused alcohol and drugs. Alcohol and drugs abused me right back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it didn't feel like that at the time, you know. I had no intention of not drinking or not drugging for the rest of my life because I loved it, even though the consequences of it were pretty horrendous and pretty dark.
2: It was a false identity.
0: But it was the only identity I had. Yeah, yeah. All of these kind of layers to make myself more palatable or more uh approachable or more acceptable to other people and i trace that back to being just a, a bit of a strange kid i was you know i i loved fantasy i loved tv i loved comic books i loved not being me and i was just a bit weird and awkward and i think People's response to that over time allowed me to kind of validate this feeling that I was not okay or not good enough. And lo and behold, I found several things that made me feel good enough. And so that's why I kept going back to it.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's with so many people. And we just have to find ways to build our conference. And you're a fabulous person. So I'm so glad that you left that part of your life uh, and you. that it doesn't define you anymore and that's good that you are defining yourself with your own absolute your own positive imprints and your own values and you made this really interesting comment you said you knew that you didn't want to be in that abusive relationship forever but how how Did you know that if it was making you feel that way, how did you know that? How how are you using that to help others? Because I know you're mentoring others uh, who are headed the wrong way, or maybe already be on that path.
0: I think it all came down to it all came crashing to the ground in flames. I think uh, on the day I woke up, and for whatever reason, I I I remember running to the bathroom to take a shower, and I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror and did not recognize the person who was staring back at me and it was it was this weird kind of of out-of-body experience the thing is I don't believe everybody has one moment like that in life Mm -hmm. I believe there are probably many examples I've looked back and there are probably half a dozen at least examples where I've woken up and gone there's something really not right here the only difference about this particular day Those few years ago was that I decided to take action on it Whereas every other time I kind of I felt it it felt like Death, but I continued Because one out of habit two out of ignorance. I guess I didn't know that there were other ways to do life yeah, I I Initially on that day. I woke up. I thought okay. Well, you're clearly crazy. Clearly, you're mentally unwell, and I was. Uh, at the time, there was panic attacks daily, I'd, hallucinations. I was not a well boy. And I thought, well, look, this is just, you're, you're crazy, clearly, and when you drink alcohol or do drugs, it makes the crazy worse. Yeah. <laughs> so Here's what you're going to do. You're going to not do that for like a month, and then you'll be cured, and you'll be absolutely fine, and you can continue on. Uh, So I didn't use, I didn't drink for a few weeks, I wasn't any less crazy, and I still didn't know that I was an addict or an alcoholic, I didn't know that, I I just thought I was too young and too, I don't know, I didn't come from that kind of background, I thought, you know, I don't sit in the park at five o'clock in the morning drinking from a paper bag, that's not who I am. Uh, and it was only after putting the the drink and the drugs down and not getting any more well that I thought there's something much bigger here that I'm not aware of. And so I started reaching out for help and went to my doctor and started getting in contact with people who were sober, young people who were sober and clean and miraculously seemed to be quite happy about it (laughs) (laughs) because I was not. I was angry, you know, I was angry at my relationship. I told you I I romanticized this kind of relationship. I was angry. I felt betrayed by alcohol. I felt betrayed by drugs. And I felt betrayed by my brain who who had allowed this to go on for so long. I'm a smart person. I'm not I'm not stupid. I just it was so strange to go. How did I not see this? Like I, I had inklings, I think. But how did I not know that this it was this bad? But that is the delusion, I think, of addiction. And it's it's a compelling argument in your head when you're in it. It's hard to, to objectively stand back and go, all right, well, this is just not working. Normal people have this, by the way. Normal people, when they have a bit too much to drink and they cause a bit of carnage, they go, okay, I need to reel this in. And I had never done that. I'd never done it because it was not appealing to reel it in for me
2: <laughs> until
0: it was really dramatic and really bad. Yeah.
2: That's a great story, that, and I li- I really like some of the things that you were saying about it. Addiction is a delusion, hundred percent. And that's such an incredible phrase. And I'm glad. I'm so glad that you realized it was a delusion, and you you said kind of a a lost boy, which yes, uh, you weren't a well boy, but lost boy is <laughs> is your absolute wonderful novel and you take some of of whom you are and you planted it in this really interesting thriller horror <laughs> novel
1: <laughs>
2: lost boy so how did you or, or when did you start to decide that you wanted to write this story lost boy
0: good question good question so i had i had written the album i was recording the album and I was thinking about how do I, and I, I you know, I've worked in, in quote unquote normal people jobs for 10 years, off and on working on creative things. And so I wanted to think, how do I do something a little bit different? You know, everybody who sings wants to be a musician, and that's great. <laughs> I didn't need to be world famous, superstar, or anything like that. But I wanted to find like a point of difference. And so I was meditating one day around this topic and this idea. And the first thing that came to mind was comic books.
2: Of course, because that's what yeah. you grew up with. and
0: Exactly. And I thought, well, that's a cool idea. Let me create a superhero based on, you know, similar themes as the album. And I started, I came up with a, a concept and I started writing the backstory of this, this 16-year-old in Brooklyn, New York with Mike Valley Jr., and I got so engrossed in his world and who he was. And I ended up writing about 30 pages of just backstory. And I thought, okay, all right, well, now I'm just writing a novel. So <laughs> screw the <comic> book. <laughs> um, and I like to read. I was always um, reading as a kid. I put it down when I was a teenager because it wasn't cool. And <laughs> as I was, you know, sober and, and happy, it seemed like a really nice way to kind of. Relive my experience from a different lens because I was so uncomfortable as a teenager I didn't always look at I, I tend to make people think that I was quite confident in pulling it off But I didn't enjoy the experience of being a teenager at all and this time around It was like being able to exercise some of those demons and just allow maybe a version of me to To live in a different format. That was a healthy way to you know Get some of that stuff off my chest, and I loved it. I loved writing it. I loved the characters. I loved, um, you know, telling their story. It was it was fun and enjoyable, much more enjoyable than my childhood.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and is it because of the the the? I mean, what what do you think made your childhood so unhappy? Was it the the kids? Was it
0: let, let me say, this is when I say that I didn't have a good child, uh, I didn't enjoy my childhood. It wasn't that I didn't have a good childhood. I had a very, very good childhood. I had loving parents. I had two parents at home. They worked hard, they taught us well. Uh, and I have a very well adjusted twin brother and a very well adjusted sister. You know, so when I say that my experience of growing up wasn't good, it was only based on what was going on in my head, not based in reality. And when I said before that, you know, addiction is a delusion, um, you know, that's the problem. We as addicts, we take action based on feeling. Very rarely do we take action based on fact. It was always about a feeling how I was coming across and, you know, whether I felt good, bad or indifferent. It was a, a reason to, to drink or to use so again, like when I say I didn't have a good childhood I had a very happy childhood. My reaction to my childhood was just a bit skewed because I was insecure and um, Yeah,
2: you have a character in your book who Has had issues with his own identity Mm-hmm. and your writing is fun, and it's a young adult book, and one of the things that I really liked in your book is that you hit on a lot, I mean, a lot of different issues, <laughs> yeah. but not directly and not mm-hmm. in lecture style, but in a way that the character understands is happening, such as uh, mental illness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is very interesting. And I don't want to, I'm trying to not give anything away in the book, but you (laughs) really carried out that mental illness piece in a, uh, you know, fun manner because you're getting into the character. I mean, I thought it was interesting the way he saw uh, other characters in, in the story and understanding what their mental illness and it kind of started with, why are they like this? I just really, really liked the way you hit on that issue. And then there was you know, just the whole acceptance of how the kids were at school for the main character. And then you have the thriller horror piece. It was suspenseful. Anyone who wants to read the book, it is available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Lost Boy, Amazon United Kingdom and Amazon in United States. And in Kindle form only, right?
0: Actually, the paperback version is available. Oh, it is. It is there too. Yeah. Um, I thought over the lockdown period, Kindle version much easier to just make. Uh, so I'd reduce the price for it as well. So it's just like a dollar, I think, in the, in the US. Um, you can't so much do that with paper, the paperback version. Although I'm a paperback person, I much prefer to have a physical book rather than Kindle. But I am too. <laughs> I it's showing my age maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it is there. You can order it on paperback as well.
2: Okay, and it's going to be a series.
0: I mean, the idea was always, like, uh, when I was kind of brainstorming it, I, I liked the idea of, um, I say I liked the idea, I think I just came up with so many ideas that so many of them became appealing to me to write. And this particular, you know, Lost Boy is the story of a, um, a young guy in uh, New York and I've always wanted to write a story. I love New York. And I've always wanted to write a story about someone from that area. And But I've also lived in London. I lived in New Zealand. I've been to about 30 or 40 countries in my life so far. And I'm just fascinated uh, by different cultures and different languages and different ways of, of being. And so I like the idea that if there is one person in New York who has a potential superpower, as is the case in Lost Boy, that maybe there is scope to tell other people's stories in other parts of the world. um, Because I find that really interesting. Yeah.
2: And that definitely came out in the book. And I didn't want to, I didn't know how much I should share. So I'm glad that you uh, gave a little synopsis.
0: As you pointed out, it's a young adult story, um, a coming of age story. It's A lot of it on the surface is about a young young man's sort of journey through identity and and his relationship with his parents and his girlfriend and his best friend and his peers at school and how all of that is so, you know, so, so weighing on young people. But like you pointed out, there's a a mystery element, you know, he's one of the classmates goes missing and he's sort of uh, looked at as a potential suspect in her disappearance. Um, and then on top of that, there's a supernatural element as well, where his kind of coming of age is not just um, intellectual or emotional; it's also uh, physical. And th- you know, some of the strange things that have been going on around him turn out to be coming from him. Yeah. So,
2: it, yeah, it's a great book, and you also touched on on a lot of values in the book through the characters, and I thought that. You know, Nicole being one. So, we love Nicole. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So anyway, Lost Boy. And now you were talking about your music and you had written the music first mm-hmm. and then you, you wrote the book. And something that I did notice is that when I was looking at your music, there are the titles of your music are also the chapters in your book.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Now, that's that's pretty ingenious. So
0: I thought it was just a, quite a cool idea to maybe and in terms of writing, especially something like a book, which I'd never done before. But I learned in film school around um, the twelve stages of the hero's journey, which was a book I think came out in the mid nineties. Christopher Vogler, I think, is his name, but he goes through um, the twelve stages of the hero's journey, which oh is yes, essentially-
2: I have that book
0: right, yeah, yeah, very well known. Um, and I use that as a as a rough template to understand how to plot a story and to make sure the elements are there. I don't follow it to the to the absolute letter, right. but I use it as like a guideline, and there are twelve stages in that. Um, I had twelve songs on this album, and I thought, well, if there are twelve songs in this album, maybe there are also twelve chapters, and maybe those chapters are named after the songs. And that way, there's a, a stronger kind of um, alignment with the book and the music. So, uh, and some of it was super easy. I, I used some of the lyrics of the songs throughout the chapters, They're sort of hidden in there like Easter eggs, I guess. Oh.
2: Um, now I'm really intrigued by that. I'm going to really listen to the music now and reread the book. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead.
0: That's cool. That's cool. I think the main difference, of course, is that the album is is very much my story. The the album Lost Boy, is Rawadi James up until a point of which you start to see that you know that facade or the mask that I'm wearing starts to splinter and things aren't things aren't good and something needs to change that's about and we're going back a few years even into my history as that story the book itself is very much mike davali's story but because i don't know i guess mike is a proxy for me as a 16 year old we're very alike in that mm-hmm. sense There's a lot of similarities and so i found that there were a lot of overlapping themes and in that sense, I could work some of the lyrics and the themes from those songs into the chapters, some easier than others, but I managed to find places for all of them. So, And without having to do it too hard, which sort of leads me to believe it was the right thing to do, rather than to just try to connect it inorganically, if that makes sense.
2: Well, You Never Grow Up, by the way, the chapter in the book was really a kind of a touching emotional chapter it's, it was kind of interesting to listen to the music and then uh, read read the chapter and you probably didn't write it to grab an emotion you probably wrote it because we're talking about these kids and what they're going through
0: and I think that that particular chapter is a turning point for, for Mike uh, um, and you start to see the way that he approaches his relationships with everybody turns at that Mm -hmm. moment and it's because some of the underlying emotional stuff and supernatural stuff is starting to empower him in a way that he hadn't felt empowered before. Um, Not to say that it ends up, you know, there is some kind of chaos and um, drama in that chapter as well. But yeah. Yeah. And I think also for for me, like the whole never grow up uh, allegory and the reason why I called lost boy lost boy is partly because I was a bit friggin lost and confused, but the other half is lost boys, you know, from Peter Pan, You remember right. Peter, Pan? and uh, the lost boys are the ones who never grow up. And that's where the allegory comes from. I think a lot of my emotional stuntedness came from this reluctance to go, okay, well you're an adult now. So you have to act like an adult. And I had a problem with doing that. I think in my younger years, Um, And I didn't want to grow up. I wanted the party to go on forever. That's what I wanted. I didn't want to have to go to work. I wanted (laughs) to party and have a good time.
1: Yeah.
2: So you were talking about like never grow up and you didn't want to grow up. You wanted the party to go on forever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. And your addiction obviously was just getting worse and worse Mm -hmm. uh, or lingering and lingering. So what are you in a program now
0: I tried everything, so doctors and therapy and, you know, I and I was on medication for for a short period of time as well, but I didn't really work out with, I didn't take to it too well. And I think the most important thing for me was having a support group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found a support group for, for people who have problems with addiction. I do a lot of other, all the stuff in my early 20s that I thought was really hipster and new agey and I used to scoff at. But meditation for me is uh, one of the, the sort of touch points, I guess, of my well-being. And I think it's all of those things, you know, reflection on my actions and behaviors. I do pretty regularly as well. Um, but I think the support group is probably what's helped me to um, to be as cool and calm and collected and uh, useful, I suppose, more importantly. Yeah.
2: I know that you do you go around and, and you give mentor speeches you're a public speaker have you ever done public speaking on writing a book the hero's journey
0: uh, the i i mean many years ago i was traveling with a performing arts group in new zealand and we it was only 3 of us and we were we did performing arts so we did some some slam poetry some music some instruments and all sorts of stuff as like a um, Production and then we would split off into workshop groups and each of us would lead a different workshop and mine was on um, How to write um, and we did it like Hollywood style pitch me a, uh, pitch me an idea and then we would expand on the idea looking at those 12 stages of the hero's journey plus Understanding those those character archetypes as well, you know your protagonist antagonist your allies obstacles and all that kind of stuff so I've i have taught it a little bit insofar as that, not for a while, um, but I am looking into how I can maybe uh, teach people how to, to, to write songs and to write fiction as well.
2: Yeah, I think... so if that's... I
0: can do it, anybody can do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's an art and it's a skill and anybody, anybody can tell a story, but now how do you get it down on paper so that you have the interest of the reader? That's your your key is...
0: That's true. That's true.
2: Now, you you are also sponsoring people. You're a mentor.
0: I think anybody who has known me for a while knows that I have been you know sober for a long time and um, I, as best as I can, and I, I try to live this kind of methodology in all areas of my life, but if somebody is struggling with sobriety or struggling with drinking or drugging and they know and they have a connection to me through somebody they know then that person will know that they can call me up and say hey look there's somebody that i know here who's struggling with x y and z can you help them and we talked about sharing stories i think half of half of it is really just sharing stories getting somebody who's unsure about it to 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 see that what they're going through isn't a completely unique experience. It's unique insofar as it's unique to them, but plenty of other people feel the way that they feel. And it doesn't feel like that when you're going through it. I remember I didn't think anybody could possibly understand what, what I was going through because, well, I don't know why, because. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: because
0: nobody talks about it maybe, or maybe I just wasn't hanging around any sober people. Maybe that was it. But to have somebody who's gone through it and to mentor, you know, not only with, with alcohol and, and drug addiction, but, you know, at work, I, I like to do that a lot as well. I've worked in corporate environments where I think it's important to, to bring your new people up and to share those same experiences and be vulnerable, not just talk about the successes or the good stuff that happens in life, but to, to say, you know, this was a, a, an obstacle that came up, whether it was work, whether it was, you know, addiction based. And This is what I did to get through it. You know, I think it's an important kind of model for me uh, And the way that I kind of look at it, you know when I was younger and crazy and I say crazy in a loving way crazy and um, uh, Addicted and all of those things it really felt like I was useless and helpless and hopeless
1: oh. and
0: So my in order to counteract that if, if you feel that way and you want to not feel that way uh, my experience and my story tells me that the best way to do it is to take actions that make you useful, helpful and hopeful. It is the complete antidote to those feelings. And so helping other people in any way is going to make you feel better, you know? So I try to live that as best as I can. Wherever I can, however I can.
2: And sharing it with others and that's that's awesome and I useful, helpful and hopeful that that's yeah. that's fabulous and and you are doing that and your positive imprints just just from everything that you're doing and f- with how you your demeanor about yourself very open to listening and, and to the storytelling and so when i was learning about you there was something that also caught my eye and that is all of your tattoos because for me when I see tattoos, I know that that's part of that person's identity. Mm-hmm. Talk about some of the tattoos, if you want to. I mean, that's up sure. to you.
0: No, I mean, I love tattoos. I love a bit of ink. I'm always very careful to make sure that I, I have really thought about what I want. And, you know, I, I look at the designs for a few months before I book anything because, you it is, per, well, they say it is permanent. It is permanent, to get it taken off is difficult. But all of mine have a similar kind of aesthetic. They're very Maori designed, they're very <coughs> um, Polynesian shapes and shading. And I mean, I love them. I've, I've never gotten a tattoo that I regret. I do have my entire right arm done. Uh, it goes right up to my shoulder, to my wrist. And I got that probably about four years ago now. And it's called Rebirth. So I worked with a a very talented artist back in in New Zealand, actually. Uh, He does fantastic work. And I got in touch with him. He actually did my cousin's tamoko. And he's got a very good eye. Uh, But I wanted something to celebrate. I think I was maybe like a year and a half clean and sober. And, I mean, I would always want more 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 and more tattoos but i wanted something to kind of acknowledge that journey and that kind of struggle if you like so what this is is a, a, essentially a representation of rebirth so that's the one that it t- took the longest that was 13 hours oh wow we, yeah we started on a thursday night and then finished on a friday afternoon and i don't recommend that
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of pain um and all the other ones, I've got one on my left arm, my wrists, my ankles, and they're all like Maori sayings and proverbs and designs like that. So I would love to get the top half of my back done as well and connect it to my left, my left arm. But it is something intrinsic to, to Maori people. It's, I think it was the Polynesians who actually uh, invented the art of tattooing, and I yeah, it's beautiful for me. It's it's. Like you said, it's it's part of my identity as as a Polynesian and as a as a Māori person of Tuhoi descent. Um, so I, I like that I can wear it all the time. Yeah.
2: Yes, and and I like your celebrating rebirth. So what are some of the Māori phrases? Uh,
1: I have
0: pāhiwa painga kauri on my right right ankle around my right ankle. Uh, which was a little bit metaphysical. I, it means imagine infinity. Oh, I, think cool. I, was going, I think I was going through my hippie phase of recovery, <laughs> it's just like, man, <laughs> imagine infinity. <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> um But I like that because it's infinite and it's endless. So sometimes when I'm getting a little bit worked up about, you know, minor things that are bugging me that really don't matter in the big scheme of things, like it was a nice reminder to go, well, imagine infinity. And it's an interesting way for me to cut the cord on the resentment or the annoyance or the anger or whatever it is, because ultimately it's a reminder that it's completely irrelevant. All those small things don't matter. You know, there are much bigger things. So that's why I got that one. On the other side, it is the the words of serenity, courage, and wisdom in Maori. So Mahurutanga, tanga, matatoa, and matauranga.
2: I love it. I think that that's fabulous that you have gone back to your roots and yeah. your ancestry and have chosen for your identity, literally permanency on you, and some quotes or phrases or provide you with every day with the absolute great person that you are and that you've become and the infinity is you know your positive imprints are infinite they're here to stay forever you cannot change them (laughs) you can add to them but positive imprints are forever your legacy is forever
0: and you know what? I think everybody's is, right? And yeah. I used to um, sort of operate under the, insu- under the is- assumption that in order to have that influence, you needed to be successful or famous or the leader in whatever field you worked in. And I learned over the, the, the course of being, you know, happy and peaceful that that influence starts with whoever you are, wherever you are. You know, and it's and I would look at what's happening right now and a lot of people in lockdown, <clears throat> and it starts with how you treat your neighbors. And it starts with how um, amenable you are and flexible you are to, to put aside what you want in the moment for the for the bigger picture. You know, I would love to go and it's actually beautiful weather in London, who knew? <laughs> of course it would be when we're in lockdown, but I would love to go to the park and just sunbathe for five hours. I would love to do that. I'm not doing it because <laughs> there is something much bigger at play, and my personal want to to work on my vitamin D intake has nothing to do with the fact that we are currently collectively needing to work together to make sure that this virus is done and done done and dusted. So it's those little things. It doesn't take big actions. Writing a book and making an album, uh, writing a play, and all that kind of stuff was. Hugely gratifying and um, I think uh, On a personal level made me feel Satisfied and like I was doing the right things But it's not, you know helping other people is what makes me feel good about myself Mm -hmm. Helping other people is the reason that I can go to sleep and not be up all night consumed with how this person thinks about me, or whether this person thinks I'm cool, or what did that person mean when they said it like this, or what was that funny eyebrow raise they did before, you know, and those things used to keep me up daily, so, you know, I think everybody has potential to to have um, a remarkable imprint on the world, and it starts with just the little things, just the little things, you know.
2: Absolutely, well, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation so much, and, and learning more about you, and, and your past, and and so many people feel the way you do. I can remember, oh my gosh, high school, college, and the same thing. I would ask my mom, well, you know, this person said this. What do you think they meant by that? And my mom would basically, you know, put her hand on her shoulder. Brush it off, dear. It meant nothing. Just brush it off. And I'd stay up at night. It's really bugging me. Just brush it off, dear. It doesn't matter. I, I wish I Could have been more like my mom where i could just brush things off i am now i just brush things off and and move on because there are bigger things than me out there i'm doing the best that i can with spreading great people like you around the world so that people can be inspired and and hopefully find their own positive imprint but you've said a lot of things that that definitely hit home for a lot of people And so what is your next gig? What's your next step here? After quarantine, of course, but.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know. um, As musicians, I think we're all feeling the pinch in terms of we don't know when places are going to allow us to perform again. Uh, Luckily for me, I have uh, another job and that kind of stuff to keep me tied over. Uh, At the moment, what I've been using this time for um, during lockdown, I'm, I did uh, I did a course with Harvard X last week around leaders of learning, uh, which I will find useful in terms of I talked before about trying to find a way to utilise teaching others to to write songs and to write fiction, and I think that Harvard X course is going to help me with that, which would be great. I've also been writing songs since I've been in lockdown. I've been working on what Mike Devalle Jr.'s next adventure looks Yay. like. And,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, it's hard not to when you have this much time. And I sort of think, I wonder what Mike Valley would be doing at this point in time, you know. And, uh, yeah, it, there's a lot of scope, I think, For not just him. There are plenty of other characters who may not be part of that of Mike's story There's you know, there's a character in there called um, officer Sonia Espinosa. I loved her. Mm -hmm. I think her and um, Inspector McCall could have their own spin-off Little series as well between them Um, So keeping those creative juices kind of flowing and uh, just Having a look at you know where that adventure takes them and where that takes me. I'm up for wherever I think um, I need to be and to write whatever stories I think need to be written and have a, a great time doing it, which is great for me too.
2: And that that's awesome. So any, any last second to last minute inspiring words that you want to share?
0: Oh, that's, that's a lot. Um,
2: <laughs> Not that you haven't been inspiring, but just in, in closing.
0: I think, The the, the, some of the most important things I've learned over the past sort of 10 years, I guess Really understand the difference between feelings. and facts. Facts really help me be productive and to to cut out a lot of the the noise in my head So feelings versus facts and also I've learned a lot about fear and ego and in both cases I try very hard not to mess with them Uh, (laughs) So that means if I'm going about my day Taking or not taking an action because I'm scared of a response or scared of what might happen That's not good for me and if I'm gonna take an action or not take an action simply because I think I it's beneath me or Because it's not going to give me the kudos that I believe I'm entitled to that's also not good for me The the freedom in my head is the, is the greatest thing that I have more than the book more than the album although I do love that too okay. um, but I get to I get to walk about the place with a tremendous amount of freedom in my head and it's it is doable if everybody if anybody feels like they don't have that it is doable it takes some some work to work on ourselves um, but there's plenty of support both in real life and online that can help you find that with tools and resources available so if you don't feel like you've unlocked your potential just yet, find someone um, and find actually not just one person, find multiple people who can help you unlock that because there is something incredibly wild and incredibly beautiful about unlocking that potential and living the version of yourself that is the best version.
2: Oh, I just love that. And I'm so glad that you have unlocked yourself and your identity to share with the entire world because your positive imprints are certainly global.
0: Thank you so much. It's very kind of you.
2: Well, thank you so much, Rowdy James, for being here on Your Positive Imprint. Your celebration of rebirth is inspiring and, in your words, useful, helpful, and hopeful. So the best of luck to you, and I so much look forward to your all of your new songs and your new book and hearing about the time that you are taking to spread your positive imprints through your workshops. Again, Rowdy James, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. I really, I had a great time. I really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, me too. All right. We'll see you later.
0: All right. Take care.
2: Bye-bye. Bye check out Rowdy James. That's R-A-W-I-R-I-J-A-M-E-S on Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram. On Facebook, Rowdy James AA. Now please download this podcast, Your Positive Imprint, by hitting the follow or subscribe button on my website, Your Positive Imprint, or from your favorite podcast platform, Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.?